0: So I'm going to be reading in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1, and you can find this on page 675 in the Bibles provided in the chairs. This morning we are focusing in on verses 18 through 20, but I'm going to be taking us back, taking us back to verse 15, verse 15 the section of verses 15 through 17 tie directly into our passage. So we'll be looking at verses 15 through 20. Isaiah chapter 1, starting at verse 15. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we are grateful. We are grateful for your word, for your truth. We are grateful for how you display your love, your grace, your holiness, your justice. Father, we pray that you would guide us in your truth, that you would give us wisdom and discernment through the Holy Spirit, that we may know your truth and be set free in your Son, Jesus Christ. In Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Amen. In verse 18 of our passage, God makes a very clear statement. He says, Let us reason together. Let us be reasonable with one another. Let us... God is here saying... Let me tell you the truth of who you are and the only way you're going to find life, the only way you're going to find peace, the only way you're going to find forgiveness, the only way you're going to find my love. Now this is a gracious thing. In and of itself, when God speaks his truth, he is shining his light into the darkness. What a tremendous act of grace that is. There is nothing that beholdens God to us or requires that God has to come in and redirect us when we are in open rebellion to him. God is not required to do that. God does that because he is love and because he has made a covenant with his people. And even though his people have continued to rebel and disobey and break that covenant, God is always faithful. And God always goes above and beyond what we could ever hope or imagine. This is a very gracious thing. These warnings are grace. These warnings of judgment are grace. These are all ways that God is displaying that there is a way of life and there is a way of death. Go the way of life. That's what Isaiah is displaying. Go the way of life. Choose the way of life. Live the way of life. And as we've been going through Isaiah 1, the only way of life is the way of obedience, the way of love, the way of devotion, and the way of worship of the one God. The one true God. The Lord of hosts. The creator of the heaven and earth the faithful covenant God of the people of Israel. That's the way of life. Any other route one would try to take or seek out outside of the will and ways of the one true God is death. It's going to lead to destruction. No matter how good it may look, no matter how good it may feel, no matter how pleasurable it may seem, it's deadly. It's deadly. Just a few days ago on my way home, Cam and I both got to see it. As She was walking and I was riding my bike. And on the sidewalk, in the middle of the sidewalk, was a rat that had gotten into some poison somewhere. And it was literally in the middle of the sidewalk in the throes of death. And let me tell you, when that rat came across that poison, it didn't say, oh, this is bad stuff. This is going to kill me. This is no good. I shouldn't eat this. But I'm going to eat it anyway. (laughs) That isn't what goes on. The rat smells and it. Sees and it, oh, this is pleasurable. This is good. And it eats and eats to its own death. As we've been looking at here in the beginning of Isaiah, we've seen the poisonous traps of idolatry, the poisonous traps of corruption, the poisonous traps of seeking your own gain your own pleasure, your own power at the expense of obedience to God. And no matter how good these things looked and seemed, God is making very clear here that it's poison. It will kill you. It will kill you. So it's always striking when God lays out these warnings and he describes the people that they have been eating this poison, they've been ingesting this poison, and then God comes and says, but I've got an antidote. There is a way that the poison will not kill you. And that's when you stop and say, but how, God, you've just made it clear. We've ingested all this poison. But there's a way. There is a way. So in verse 18, God says, let us reason together. God is going to shine his light and make clear that there is a way of life even in the midst of the rebellion and death of the people of God. There is a way of life. There is a way to go from death to life. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, Though your sins, these sins that the people of Israel had, they this is part of their deception: how they were deceiving themselves, how the false prophets were deceiving them, how their rulers who were in disobedience to God were deceiving them. The deception was, well, these sins, these sins aren't really that bad. Not only are they not that bad, but 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 they can be hidden. They can be covered up. They don't really hurt that many people. It's just something that I do, and maybe I, between one other or a few other people. These sins aren't that open. Not only that, but the people were convinced that there are many sacrifices and, and many devotions at the temple. That was very open and public, as they gave their money and went to do sacrifices and that. and That was open, so people saw that. But these sins could be hidden. And then you have God reasoning with the people here in verse 18, and he says this, your sins are like scarlet. They are visible. They are flashing beacons in a dark night. They are neon signs. They are Ultra bright beacons toward your destruction. Your sins are like lighthouses displaying the direction that you've went. Your sins are like scarlet. And then you see this turn in verse 18. They shall be as white as And there you see grace introduced into Isaiah chapter 1. This is going to be the entire book of Isaiah. As we go through Isaiah, God's going to make clear his judgment and his justice and where the people have rebelled against him and broken his law. And God's going to make clear that they deserve to be destroyed, that Jerusalem will be destroyed, that people will be taken into captivity. That so many of them will meet death yet. God keeps coming back to. But he will show grace. He has a people. That though they have ingested the poison of rebellion and sin. He will bring them to life. Not because they deserve it. Not because they deserve it. But because God is gracious and merciful. This lifts up his honor. It lifts up his mercy. And it lifts up his grace. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. And this takes us back to the passage right before 18 and through twenty, and this is verses fifteen through seventeen. Remember, that was the main issue that God was displaying for the people. In verse fifteen of Isaiah one, when you spread out your hands, so here are the people they're in the temple, and sacrifices are being offered, and God's laws being read, and these things are being taken place. In burning. you have the work of the high priest on behalf of the people everything that is taking place within the temple through the year, and you have people going to the temple, and they are extending their hands up in worship and prayer while their hearts are far from God. They're going through physical, external motions, though their hearts are far from the love and truth of God. And that's what God said to the people through Isaiah and Isaiah 115. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. There it is. The sins of the people is as if blood was on their hands. And though they lifted up their hands, in an act of of righteous praise and worship of God, God knew their hearts. And he says, I can't look on those hands. They're full of blood. And that's what he's saying in verses 18 and 19. He's saying, though your hands are like blood, there is a way that they can be cleansed. There is a way that you can be cleansed. And it's not through you obeying God's law perfectly. Isaiah is going to be, make that very clear that we cannot. That we are conceived in sin, that we are born into sin, and we are sinners through and through unless God makes us alive and cleanses us in the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. Again, when Isaiah speaks about your sins, though they are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. We see where Isaiah is taking us to Psalm 51. He's taking us to King David. He's taking us to a heart of repentance and a heart of humility. Last week, we looked where the text earlier in Isaiah where God made clear, I do not delight in sacrifices. Remember, in that section, we were taken to 1 Samuel chapter 15. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we saw where God told Saul, King Saul, to go and destroy the Amalekites. All of them. Everything living. All means all. All. You're good. You got it. That's exactly all means all. But for Saul and the people that he feared, all meant all the bad ones, but not the good ones. So you see where Saul goes and he he destroys them, but he keeps the king alive and he keeps the good cattle and the good sheep, the best of the land. And Samuel says, you have disobeyed the Lord. And three times Saul comes back and says, no, I haven't. I've obeyed the command of the Lord. And Samuel says, no, you haven't. But yes, I have. No, you haven't. And finally, you have Saul say, okay, I've, I've sinned. I've, I've done this against the Lord. But please. And you see where Saul, his confession is not a repentance of a humble and contrite heart. What he asked of Samuel to do is to still walk with him and go through the ceremonies in a way that the people will still look at him as the king. And that he still has power and position among the people. So we see where Isaiah is symbolizing the disobedience of King Saul with the people of Jerusalem and Judea. And yet here where God speaks of his work of grace and forgiveness, he doesn't reference Saul, but he references King David. King David. You see, that, you see the shift there. This is where we see where God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he keeps taking the people of God through their history, how God has been at work. And here in this passage, we're in the midst of the darkness and death and destruction due to their sin. God shines a light of hope and forgiveness and grace. And he does it by taking them to Psalm 51, to David. How was King Saul and King David similar? They were sinners. How was King Saul and King David similar to every one of us? We all sinners. But what's the difference between King Saul and King David? David was a man after God's own heart. That didn't mean that he didn't sin. But what it meant was when he was confronted by his sin and evil, David sincerely repented. He was broken. He had a humble, broken heart before God. And he cried out for God's mercy. And that is where Isaiah is taking the people of God with this promise. That's why earlier in the service I read from Psalm 51. You can see where the words of Psalm 51, just word by word, they, they are the words of this section of Isaiah chapter 1. Psalm 51 and Isaiah chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. It's the same terminology, same words, same meaning, same theme. The psalmist is taking them to a heart of humility and crying out for God's mercy. Again, Psalm 51. We see where the psalm is written after Nathan confronts David over his grossest, most public, most wretched cycle of sin and self-preservation at the expense of his people you could ever imagine. Adultery, murder, and lies. And the prophet Nathan comes to him when David thought, it's all okay. I got away with this. David thought he could go to the temple and lift up holy hands. And what does Nathan say in so many words? Your hands got blood on them. Your hands have the blood of Uriah, whom you killed. Your hands have the blood of this adultery and this shameful relationship. Your hands, your hands have the blood of taking advantage of Bathsheba, one of your citizens. Blood, blood, blood. Eventually, where David cries out, This man who stole this sheep deserves death. And Nathan says, You're the man. You can see where David, for the first time, realizes I'm destroyed. I'm destroyed. So you get Psalm 51. And you see the themes of Psalm 51. Of verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. You see the key there? Don't have mercy on me for my steadfast love. Remember, mercy is when you cry out that God will not give you what you deserve. If I said, God, have mercy on me, as much as I have loved other people and loved you. You're not asking for mercy with that. You're asking for judgment and justice. Have mercy, David says. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. verse 2 wash me there it was isaiah chapter isaiah chapter 1 verse 16 wash yourselves here we see the cry of david he understood what that meant that meant that i cry out to god for mercy that he wash me Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You see the words used throughout Psalm 51. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. There it is. See where Isaiah the prophet first in a few verses before he took us back to Saul's most disgraceful disobedience to God and his continued hard heart over his sins. And now a few verses later, he takes us to David lying prostrate, crying out to God for forgiveness, knowing that he is destroyed unless God shows his mercy to him. That's the way of cleansing and forgiveness. Verse 7, purge me. Wash me. And then verse 9, you see this powerful statement. Again, where David says, hide your face. Now, what did we just see in Isaiah chapter 1? Verse 15, God says, when you spread your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. But what does David cry out for the mercy of the Lord? Hide your face from my sins, not from me, not from me, but from my sins, from my hide your eyes from those, blot those out, remove those. But I need you to look onto me or I'm I'm destroyed. I am nothing. And again, he says after that, blot out my iniquities. Verse 10 Ultimately what this blood on the hands of the people in Isaiah and what they're needing to wash all ultimately what this has to do with is the heart and that's what Psalm 51 verse 10 says. This is David's cry, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within. That's the ultimate cleansing, is a new heart. A new heart that can love God, that can desire God, that can seek God. That's the ultimate cleansing. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing heart. Verse 14, deliver me from blood guilt, guiltiness. Oh, God, oh, God, my salvation. And then verse 16, here you see the entire sections of Isaiah chapter 1 leading up to this point. Remember Isaiah chapter 1, where God says, I do not delight in your sacrifices. And this is taking us back to Saul and his wickedness and disobedience. Isaiah chapter 1 verse starting at verse 10, hear the word of the Lord you rulers of Sodom listen to the law of your God you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices what are they to me says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats because their hearts were not sincere and true. They Their hearts were not broken and contrite and in humility toward God. So this is Psalm 51 again. Verse 16 of Psalm 51 for you will not delight in sacrifice. The same words. Or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Verse 17 The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. There's the sacrifice. God will never despise. There's a sacrifice that brings pleasure and delight to God at all times. There's a sacrifice that you cannot go wrong with. A humble, broken, contrite heart before God. Calling out for His love, His mercy, and His grace. That is the sacrifice that is pleasing to God. That's why in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's what's at the heart of that, the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know that when it comes to their own righteousness and their own goodness, they are spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are the poor in spirit, because they know that they need God. They know they need a Savior. They know that they are stained with the blood of their sin, and they need one who will blot it out and remove it and cleanse them so they can stand before God. That rather than receiving the condemnation they deserve, they cry out for mercy and grace so that they can be called my child with whom I'm well pleased, and receive the love of a heavenly Father. It's a powerful thing if you go through Matthew, and you see these two scenes, and I think they display well what takes place here. In Matthew 17, you have the transfiguration. You have where Jesus is transfigured before them, in Matthew 17, verse 2, it says this, And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. So here they got to see Jesus for a moment in his full glorified state. And his clothes were so radiant and so pure and so without any Blemish or imperfection or any, any, change or anything that was anything but pure—that they're described as pure, white, light. His clothes became white as light. Yet we understand that there was that glimpse of transfiguration. But the road to Jesus being so glorified first went the way of the cross. First went the way of the cross. So you think of Jesus, who he truly is. He is the Son of God. He is God. He is perfect and holy and just. He is radiant. Yet in Matthew 27, you see a little scene here. And in this scene, you get a picture of how Jesus is ultimately the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 1. In the passages we're looking at today, 15 through 20. If you look at Matthew 27, starting at verse 27, it says this. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. This is on his way to the cross. And they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. Put a reed hand, and kneeling before him they mocked him, saying, "Hail, king of the Jews!" And they spit on him. And they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. What's so powerful about that scene is here you have these soldiers and they're doing this in their understanding as a way to mock and insult and belittle Jesus Christ. But little do they know, they are pronouncing the most glorious, the most amazing, and most powerful truth that there ever could be spoken of Jesus Christ. That God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That as Philippians said, that Jesus came and He so emptied Himself that He went the way of death death on the cross. So here you have Jesus, the holy one, the perfect one being wrapped in a scarlet robe and beaten and mocked and spit upon though he was radiant and perfect. Jesus takes the punishment That we deserve. He takes the sin on himself. That is ours. So that we can be clothed. In his radiant. White. Shining. Glory. Is that amazing? That's amazing. And this is what. Paul says. This is how Paul understands this. In 2 Corinthians 5, you see where Paul summarizes how this is that our sins could be like scarlet, but God could cleanse them as white as snow. How they could be red and stained and so glaring before God, but there is a way that our sins could be removed from us so that we can stand before God in holiness. How can that be? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 19, this is in Christ, God was reconciling, reconciling. We earlier had these different prayer requests. We have these different about reconciliation amongst family. We pray for reconciliation within our nation. We pray for reconciliation in the world. Ultimately, we see the ultimate reconciliation that takes place in Jesus Christ. It says this. Verse 19, this is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, blotting them out, washing them, removing them, purging them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Verse 21. For our sake, he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, Jesus Christ, to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, Jesus Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. That's it. Ultimately, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 gives us the answer to how it is our sins can go from being so glaring in such an affront before a holy God to being removed out of God's love and grace so that we can be embraced and held by Him in His love. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That's why Isaiah 1, verses 19 through 20, extend this offer and extend this warning. Verse 19 of Isaiah 1. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And just as Isaiah gives out that warning and that promise of God's grace and God's judgment, we see ultimately where we, as 2 Corinthians 5, we are sent out as God's people to proclaim the message of reconciliation. God has made a way for your sins to be forgiven. God has made a way for you to go from death to life. The way is His Son, Jesus Christ. Believe in Him. Trust in Him and you have life. But if you continue to refuse to believe and trust in Him, your sins remain. And you will be destroyed. Choose life. Choose peace. Choose Jesus Christ. God is good. All the time. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that though our sins are like scarlet, that the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, has washed us clean. Father, we pray that you would enable us to be proclaimers of the message of reconciliation. Father, we pray that we would lift up your gospel, that we would lift up your truth. Oh, Father, we pray for friends and loved ones who continue to rebel against your gospel. Father, we pray that you would open their eyes, open their hearts, open their ears, that you would give them life, that you would give them a humble and contrite heart so that they would too cry out for your mercy and know your love. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.